Today we have a special guest. Uh, some of you guys don't know this actually, and I failed to say this last time he preached because he preaches from time to time. But Pastor Brian, he's, he's coming. He, he looks very pastoral with his jacket, suit jacket on. <laughs> Looking professional today. I moved to Maine and, and all my suits haven't even made it out of the plastic tote that I put it in when I moved here. And, and I got to say this, I'm so thankful that we're not in a church that you, you have to. Is that all right? It's good. It's good. I'm sorry. Hopefully, I don't, maybe that embarrassed you there, but moment of freedom for myself. But uh, <laughs> anyways, so a lot of you guys don't know, Pastor Brian and Miss Leah, uh, his wife, actually started this church 13 years ago. Am I about right with that? 13 years ago. And so, man, I, you know, listen, these guys uh, honestly were pioneers in the community, planning a church that's very different than a lot of other churches that are here. And so, you know, as far as for me, obviously I've had a relationship with him since before he came and planted the church. Uh, he knew me when I was still a single man eating at his table because I was hungry and they fed me. Amen. So... <laughs> Anyway, so, so these guys have been such a gift to Jen and I. And so a few weeks ago when I knew that we were going to go in the series of Rethink Church, I actually asked him to preach a message that I heard him preach uh, originally when he, when he handed over the church, I guess, what, maybe six years ago now and moved back to North Carolina and came on staff with us. He, he preached a sermon about ecclesia, about basically the, the, the church and the authority of the church. And I remember at that time thinking, man, I've never heard this before. Never heard anybody talk about it, and really haven't heard anybody talk about it since. And so I asked him a few weeks ago if he wouldn't mind coming and sharing this with us, because I believe if we can grab a hold of this, it's going to launch our church into a, a greater measure of revelation, but also a greater measure of effectiveness. And uh, because how many of you guys know we need to know who we are, right? We need to know what we've been assigned to do. So, anyways, if you don't mind, give good old Pastor Brian, the man, a good old welcome. It's always interesting to, uh, or fun, neat, whatever, to, uh, you know, come into a service like this where you haven't kind of put it all together and done it all and, and experienced the presence of God and good worship, amazing worship, actually. I was just standing there next to my mother thinking who she thinks I'm amazing, by the way, so... <laughs> I've always got it made when she's around, so everybody else can think I'm a complete knucklehead, but for some reason, she thinks I'm, so we're good. We're good today, because mom's here. You know, I remember when um, worship, you know, for us was a a boombox on a, you know, a stand in the corner of the room, and very few people to enjoy the sound thereof. Because we were just starting. And when you start, you kind of start most often with not much. But what we did start with was what we sang about in the next to last song. The name of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but when they started to sing that song, I was like, we could just sing this and be done for today. What a powerful name it is. It's everything. That name is everything. Really, there isn't anything beyond that name. It's just how we respond to it and how we allow him to be a part of our life. His name is Jesus, and that name is everything. The fact is, I don't care really what you're facing today, what you're going through, 
the answer to your situation is in that name. And sometimes all you can do is say it. Just like she had us do. Jen had us do. Just say the name. Sometimes that's all you can say. You don't have a theological explanation for your situation. You don't have a roadmap out of your situation. It might feel like your back is against the wall and and the devil himself is putting his forearm against your throat and you feel like you have no, no way out. There's no way through. But there's something about the courage to utter the name of Jesus in the midst of whatever situation that you're facing that that name has the ability to take every obstacle, every difficult situation, every impossibility, and in the presence of that name or in the utterance of that name, that dis- dif- difficulty melts. Its hold melts. Its significance melts because there is power in the name of Jesus. What was it when we started singing that song that you could feel a shift in the atmosphere? What was it when we started to sing, I exalt you? I can feel it right now. Because there's something within us that was, was wired by God, pre-wired by God to worship him. I... Even if you're not a believer this morning and you haven't given your life to Christ, you are wired by God to worship Him. And I guarantee you when that atmospheric shift took place this morning and you were maybe wondering what was, a, was happening or what was about to happen or what's happening in this place, that wiring was connected The Holy Spirit connected to that wiring that's on the inside of you. And there was a response, tangible response in your nature, even if you didn't know what it was. That is the response that we were created in the likeness and the image of God, fashioned by his hand. The Bible says that before we were formed in our mother's womb, he knew us and he called us by name, fashioned us, called us by name. He knows who you are. I used to talk quite a bit about how, you know, God is not a God that desires for us to operate in arrogance and pride. I still believe that. But I think my concern is not so much whether the body of Christ would operate in pride and arrogance. Because oftentimes I see the body of Christ with their heads down, discouragement, despair loss of hope more often than I see the pride and the arrogance. And so today I believe that the Holy Spirit would desire for us to encounter Jesus again. Really doesn't matter what we talk about. If we don't encounter Jesus, if we don't encounter his presence and his word, then we've just kind of talked and, and, and uh, there's not going to be a lasting significance to it. So thank you for the worship. Thank you for Just an amazing band. You're way better than a (laughs) boombox. Way better than a boombox. It's just so awkward when you're like right into it. You know, this, you know, we did have some great worship leaders. You know, that just when the song stopped, it just ended. You know, it just stopped. It's like awkward silence until the next one came on. And then you get moving with the next song. 
but you do what you got to do, right? Turn to Matthew with me, if you would, please. I want to read a scripture there. A few scriptures, actually. Verse 13, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 19. And it says, Now when Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they answered, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you yourselves say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now that's a very controversial statement in their day, right? Pretty controversial statement, because... Everybody wasn't convinced that he was the Messiah, the son of the living God. Fact is, there was more that was against him than was for him. And it was an emerging understanding that very few had actually come to grips with. But here's Peter. And we know Peter's character, Peter's tendency. He's not your typical compliant kind of guy. He says what he thinks like some of you, just saying. Any, (laughs) no filter, right? And uh, so he replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That came out of the purity of his heart and where, where he was experiencing God for that moment, that season in his life, interacting with Jesus on a regular basis. Then Jesus answered and said, bless Blessed or happy, fortunate to be envied are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood or man has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then I tell you that you are Peter, or a large piece of rock, and on this rock, pertaining to a huge rock like Gibraltar, will I build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the powers of the infernal region, some call that hell, shall not overpower it or be strong in its detriment or hold out against it. Read from the Amplified, so it's a little tricky there with all the added definitions. I will, in verse 19 it says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind or declare to be improper and unlawful on earth must be what is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose or dare declare lawful on earth must be what is already loosed in heaven. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for the declaration in your word that says it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And Lord, we ask that you would illuminate our pathway today. We ask that you would open the eyes of our understanding and that you would help us to know truth and that truth would set us free. I thank you for your instruction. I ask that you would give us grace to hear and grace to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. So Peter responds to this statement, confessing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Lord pronounced a blessing upon this disciple or this apostle and declared that upon this rock or the truth of that declaration, he would build his church. The declaration was that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Again, regardless of what we're teaching, regardless of what we're experiencing in our walk with God, whatever challenges that we're facing all throughout our journey, I want to challenge and encourage you to make sure that this 
declaration is always at the forefront of your heart and your mind. That Jesus is the Christ. When all of the theological arrangements and arguments and arenas um, get overwhelming and go over your head and under your feet and between your knees, whatever, always remember that to go back to the basic crux of the matter, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. He's the Messiah, which gives him the ability to save us from our sin and to change our eternal trajectory from one of damnation to one of eternal life. And it's basic. I believe what's being shared here um, as Jesus is interacting with his disciples is that there's more to the church than oftentimes what we've understood. I think we don't understand always the impact of Jesus's words to the disciples. In fact, as he said, we see through a glass darkly, like we're only able to see certain elements and certain truths and certain depths. And as the Holy Spirit reveals them to us, we see more and more and more, but we're in a fallen world looking through a a clouded glass, trying to understand the magnificence of the kingdom of God. And we're human, looking through human filters, trying to allow the Holy Spirit to unveil his truths, the truths of the word of God, the truths of of the spirit of God that's working through us, trying to help us to understand what we're sensing and feeling in a moment when we don't have words necessarily to describe it. What are you doing in me, God? In those moments where you know you're living right and you're not doing anything wrong and, and, or that you know of, and you're still under these massive attacks or there's still this squashing and this squeezing going on where you're being challenged and, and um, you know, you're just going through hardship. What is that about, God? What is this about? And those questions and those those. The desire to understand what he's up to is kind of ever before us. Have you ever wondered what the season of life that you're in, what you're going through it for? God, why am I even going through this season of my life? The last three years I've asked that question numerous times. Haven't really got a good answer either. Beginning to understand and recognize that Jesus is the Messiah again. Jesus is the Messiah. I may not understand the season that I'm in, but Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He's the one that I trust. I may not understand the forward trajectory or what I feel like maybe going backwards, but I trust that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Sometimes I don't know anything beyond that, but I have settled in my heart that Christ, Jesus, is the Son of the living God. He is the Messiah, the hope of glory. So I believe as he's interacting with his disciples and asking them, who do you say that I am? He's helping them to not just see who he is, but who they are in relation to who he is. Whenever you acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, I think why we're responding to those songs of God's majesty and his power, we're responding to the kingdom of God. 
We're responding to his kingdom. We're responding to his, his ultimate authority in the earth and in the heavens. We're wired to understand that. And so I believe that God is wanting us as the body of Christ to understand that everything about what we're supposed to understand from the Bible wasn't always said as clearly as it possibly could be. Right? Sometimes because of us, sometimes because of our filters, sometimes because of the, the fallen nature of the world that we're in. But we just don't always understand things the way that we wished or desired that we could. So here he's talking. He even said, there are some things that you can't understand because you're thinking carnally. And you've got to grow through a place where you're not thinking carnally anymore so that you can understand this particular truth. I think that the understanding of church is one of those topics. I think as Pastor Quentin has described over the last couple of weeks, we have an understanding of what church is. But today I want to take us to a, 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 a place that hopefully will help us to see what God was talking about when he's introducing um, what the church is about. I believe that we have purpose on the earth. I believe we have eternal purpose. I believe he's preparing us even at this moment for our eternal destination. But I don't believe that we're supposed to get by here on this earth by the skin of our teeth and not contribute in some way. I don't believe that's his plan either. So if we're to contribute in some way in this journey that we're on in our relationship with him, what does that mean? What does that look like? What is he about? And where do we stand in that? I heard some teaching a while back and I haven't really, like Pastor Quinton, I haven't heard it very much either. But as for the last almost 30 years, as I've been a Christian, and then 26 of that actually in the full-time ministry, I have had a lot of seasons come and go. I've had a lot of teachings come and go. I've had a lot of things that um, have impacted my life and, and, and shiftings and that sort of thing. But this teaching, even though I hadn't heard it a lot, was one of those things that stuck with me. And I believe that God just kind of expanded it in my heart because it was something that he wanted me to grow on, to grow from. And I want to share that, um, as Pastor Quentin has asked me to, I want to share those thoughts with you today and the impact that it's had on my life. One, I don't think that we're supposed to be the body of Christ that's going through our journey on earth with our heads hung down because we're defeated. I just don't believe that. I believe that God is in us as we've accepted him as our Lord and Savior. And that's a very powerful thing. I think, unfortunately, we don't understand how powerful it is and what the impact is supposed to have, not only in our life, but the lives that are around us. I believe that God is working on us, but he's also wanting to work through us. He's wanting us to change, to benefit us. He's wanting us to be encouraged and strengthened and empowered and, and become everything that he's destined us to be for us. But he's also wanting that transition to take place in us so that he can share that life with the people that we encounter every day. That's what I love about the marketplace. Ecclesia, in its Greek definition, is called out ones. Originally, that term in the Greek was a civil calling out of the people from their homes, from their wherever, to come to an assembly so that they could decide on a civil dispute or matters of government, governing. The word is actually, in its foundation, a civil government term. It's not a church term. 
necessarily. It was used to describe the interactions with, actually it was the men 18 years and older that would come to an assembly and they would vote on all sorts of things. They would have hearings and they would decide on whether they went to war. They would decide whether they, they were you know, going to start a new province or whatever. All kinds of the same type of, well, probably not all the same type, but many of the same types of civil things that we deal with here today. So it was a, a governmental term. It was a, 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 a civil government term where it wasn't describing a church body. Now, obviously, words are words, and those words were used by the people of Jesus' day, and Jesus used those terms and those words, and so they took on certain meanings as the church began to emerge. Jesus didn't come up with his own words and have a completely new language for them to understand. He used terminology of the day that would be meaningful to them. So if you could picture yourself as a person that was learning about Christ, a a person that was a person following Jesus around and listening to his teaching, if you were one of the disciples and he started talking about the ecclesia, immediately you wouldn't like go to your dictionary and try to find out what he was or go into deep intercession to try to find out the, the meaning of what that word was. Right away you understood that he was talking about a governing authority. He was talking about leadership Um, those that were helping to institute laws and make decisions about the conflicts or the resolutions that need to be made for the day, of the day. It was a governing term. And so as, as this word ecclesia keeps getting batted around and we keep using it as a church assembly or meeting place, it's not necessarily the full intent of the word. It's not wrong to to use it as that. And Pastor Quentin gave a couple of the different definitions of the word and its usages throughout the Bible and um, completely accurate and totally understandable. But what I want to do today was just is simply to back up and to understand that as Jesus was describing the church or the ecclesia to introducing that language to um, his disciples, he was helping them to understand that they had a mission beyond just receiving the grace of God that was going to make their life better. Because sometimes I think that's the way we see Christianity. Jesus is going to come into my life. He's going to change my life. He's going to take away all the hardness, hardship, and he's going to make my life easier. I'll be blessed and highly favored, like Pastor Quentin said a couple weeks ago. True, all true. He fully intends to do that. But it doesn't mean that all of the challenges are going to go away, as most of us that's been in it for a while could attest. Sometimes it seems like it's getting harder the the longer that we follow him. Or the more, more deep the challenges become, or difficult the challenges become. And so, as you see yourself today... And you recognize that you are a person that, that acknowledges that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who do you say that Jesus is? You say that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the Messiah, the one that can take away the sin of the world. So then I ask, what for? Because beyond that experience, which is an amazing experience and a life-changing experience, it's what happens on the inside of us when those songs 
begin to be played where we acknowledge that there's somebody greater than us and that's influencing and challenging and changing our life, what then? If we see ourselves as just God came into my life to make me a better person and that's the end of it, I feel like we've drastically underestimated what God's intended for us in the earth. When Jesus died on the cross, we know that some significant shifts took place during that time. We know that he didn't stay on the cross. He went to the grave. And then we know that three days later, he didn't stay in the grave, but he arose from the grave. And during that time where he was in the grave, the Bible tells us that he went to hell, basically, or some form thereof, and took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And basically what that meant was, it wasn't that he just went and overthrew the devil. He overthrew the loss of authority that had been given from humanity in the fall in the Garden of Eden. They lost their authority and they gave it to the enemy. He took it from them. When Adam and Eve partake of the fruit, whatever it was, in that moment, they gave Satan authority in the earth. God had given them authority in the earth. He said, this is the earth, the fullness thereof. Take care of it. Here's the animals. Give them some names. Have all the fun you can. This is your place. I give you this place. They had authority over it. And when they relinquished that authority, who took it? The enemy. So the significance of the death, burial, and resurrection in this part of the, the, the thought is that he took back that authority. That's what the keys resemble, the authority. He took back that authority, and then he desires not to keep that authority, but he's telling the disciples, you need to understand that you're going to receive authority. And I'm going to release you in my name. And you're going to do things that you have no idea that you are capable of doing. You're going to have authority that you've never operated in before. You're going to see miracles happen that you've never seen in your lifetime and generations before have never seen. And you're going to do this in my name. And they couldn't understand it because they couldn't see him at the time going to the, to the grave going to the cross, dying. He was their next Caesar in their mind. It's the only thing they had to go by. He was their next ruler. He was their next king. He was their next, but it was thinking in physical terms and not spiritual terms. And so throughout their journey with Jesus, he's trying to shift their mindset away from earthly king to eternal king. When we stood and sung that song this morning or sang that song this morning, I wasn't thinking about, we're going to overthrow the government. Down with the president. We're going to overthrow the government and we're going to become rulers and authority and we're going to reign with Jesus. Jesus is going to go to the White House and it's going to be awesome. Probably would be, but... He'd have a lot of work to do, but probably handle it. That wasn't what I was thinking at all. Was it, was it really, was it what you were thinking? 
No, because that's not God's intention. Ruling and reigning with Him has to do with the transformation of lives. The transformation of our life and the transformation of the lives of those that are around us. I desire for the people that I bump shoulders with and elbows with every day to experience what I experience when I encounter Christ. When I wake up in the morning and God greets me with with a fresh day. I want people to understand that they don't have to be lost in their sins and their trespasses and their, the things that they can't help themselves from. They can't forgive themselves from. I want humanity to understand that there's more to life than just being burdened down with things that they can't take care of themselves. The Roman government really utilized this word ecclesia You know that Roman history tells us that they took over most of the then known world. And even in Jesus' day, basically he was, they was under that Roman authority. And the Roman authority would come into a city and because they had grown so powerful and strong over the, 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 their conquests, there was a lot of fear involved in this. And so instead of having to battle for every city that they came against, oftentimes they would go to the gate of the city Everybody knew they were coming. They didn't just show up with two people. They showed up with their, their scary people. You know, their scary warriors and their swords and their spears and their chariots and their horsemen and their whatever. And, uh, and actually the reputation of Rome behind them. And they would show up at a city gate and they would say, knock, 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 we're going to take you over. And they would be met with either resistance Or they would be met with compliance. If they were met with resistance, there may be a few more talks before they they surrendered. Or there was some mayhem and violence and eventually they surrendered. But those that didn't or did surrender, and those that didn't, eventually when the city was conquered, Rome would then release elders or leaders into that city for governing instead of what their governing was at the time, whatever leaders that they had from whatever country or whatever they were part of, they would insert leadership that understood Rome's ways. They would set in a government that understood Rome's preferences, its ways of governing, the laws, the rules, etc., etc., etc. And they would set this governing authority in place within that city to take care of that city the way that Rome wanted or Caesar wanted it to be run. Make sense? So that was setting in place an ecclesia or a governing authority over that region or that territory or that city. So as the ecclesia, if we are truly the ecclesia, if you see yourself as ecclesia, as part of the ecclesia that's described in the word, the deeper meaning of what you are as it relates to how you interact with yourself, your family, and the marketplace, even the physical assembling of ourselves together, is to see yourself and ourselves as not discouraged, wiped out, defeated, bowed down, struggling humanity, which is oftentimes how we feel, but we see ourselves the way God sees us and the way God intends us to be, and that's a governing authority. That's a 
bit of a twist, isn't it? Because that's what the mayor does. That's what the president does. Exactly. That's what the Senate does. That's what the town council does. That's what the board of selectmen does. Exactly. Governing authority. Dealing with civil matters. Dealing with matters of importance. But we are also, Jesus is helping the disciples to understand, we are a part of a greater government. Really? There's no greater government than the kingdom of God. But that doesn't position us to start revolting against the presidency. That's why I was saying that earlier. It's not about that. It's about recognizing who you're serving and recognize the authority that he's given to us and then operating in that authority. Well, how do we do that? I went through a season a while back and through this transition of my own where I've been in full-time ministry for so long and now I'm in the marketplace and a business with my brother and um, releasing the works that we've established and worked in over the years to a younger generation, two amazing people here that we've released this church to for the second time. That's a part of my trajectory. But the transition of that from what I always was to what I have become now brought some uncertainty to what I was used to, who I was, my identity. When you're used to being a pastor for all those years, all of a sudden, the decisions that you make, the way you carry yourself, the way that people see you is through that filter. They see you as a pastor. And when all of a sudden you're not doing that anymore, there's like this radical identity challenge. Maybe everybody didn't see it, probably more saw saw it than I'd like to admit, but there's an identity challenge going on where you're trying to figure out how what you're seeing yourself as now fits into the picture. Well, the truth of the matter is nothing changed. Being a pastor wasn't where my authority came from. That was a role and a position in the body of Christ that was part of my calling, but that didn't is not where my authority came from. Now he graces us with authority to do the work that he asks us to do, but the underlying authority does not come because you're an exalted church leader or not exalted church leader. It comes because Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And I say, acknowledge that he's my Lord and he's my savior. And with that acknowledgement, The authority that's released because of that acknowledgement puts you in a place where you have now become a governing authority in the earth or are supposed to be. Not everybody is going to be a governing authority or see themselves as a governing authority. That doesn't nullify the fact that you have the capability to operate in that. So what is that? Is that us now going out and revolting or causing uprisings or all of that? Absurd. No, 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 no. A thousand times no. Sometimes, and probably more often than not, what I would see this governing authority look like is the quiet confidence, not in ourself, in our ability to talk our way through situations, but our ability to rest knowing that God is and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So as we, in quiet confidence, go about our day, 
inserting ourselves into whatever environment that it is that He's assigned us to, then that authority of Christ rests upon us. And without even knowing it, or without even, like, you know, reciting, the authority of Christ is on me today, the Christ or something or other, whatever he said Sunday, it's on me and I have power to do some, whatever I didn't think I could do before. It's not a matter of confusing it to that way. It's something that just is. Because of what Jesus has already done in my life, he's giving all of us the authority as we acknowledge him as Christ, the son of the living God. He's empowered us to be his representatives on the earth. You just are. You don't have to be special like Pastor Quentin or like the president or like the select board or you have to be you. God's made Pastor Quentin unique and special by his design. God's design. So if you have issues with him, you've got to take it up with God because he made him. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do with him sometimes either, but... He did it, you know, so it's, it's a God thing. <laughs> so you wake up in the morning and all of a sudden you begin to see yourself or God desires you to, be, to see yourself the way he sees you. Just turn to your neighbor and say, hey, governor. Say it like governor, governor. Because <laughs> that's what he desires you to be not as prideful, arrogant person that's going around saying, I'm the governor. That's what the world does. But in quiet confidence, understanding that God has made you a king and a priest and a, and a every girl's desire to be a princess and a queen and a whatever. He's given you royalty. Royal blood flows through your veins because of him. The redeemed ones, the called out ones, the ecclesia, that's who you are. You're like, you don't know me. I'm like, I know, you're terrible. You're just bad. You've got more, more problems than we can shake a stick at. I get all of that. Join the club. I got a whole list of my own I'm working through. That's not the point. You can't get there on your own merit anyway. It's who he has declared you to be. And then you start being his representative in the earth. So when you go to work tomorrow, you're not just going to work as Jake Barber, business owner, lots of cool equipment, drive over your little car with my big bulldozer. (laughs) He's a governor now. (laughs) It's a governor. Governor's way cooler. God's given him authority to make a difference to his crew. To the guys that he's working with in the prisons. And guess what? It's no longer related to just 18-year-old men and up. But Tanja's right beside him. God's recognizing or releasing his authority over you as the body of Christ. And he's not making a preference with 18-year-old men He's saying, you are a daughter. And I love you as much as my son. You're special in your own way. 
I like to say you're amazing in your own way. Because you are amazing in your own way. You're not like Bob. (laughs) Bob's got his own cool going on. But you're amazing. When God looks at you, he's so excited when you get up in the morning. He loves the way you are. He loves the way you think and, and, and worship him and honor him and honor your husband and, and honor, you know, these guys have been serving in the children's ministry. How, how, how they do it, I've never served in the children's ministry. I'm, I hate to admit it. That's like a scary place down there. I never was man enough to go to the children's ministry. I'll be honest with you. But these guys, even at their age, are, 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 you know, they've been down there and they need a transition. I understand, you know, that time transitions things. But you guys have been amazing in your efforts to, to, to pass what you have on to the next generation. But God's given you authority. God's given you ability to be an influence. I don't know what you do every week. It doesn't matter. You know, lots of stuff. Seems like when you get retired, you do more than you did before. But whatever you do, God has gifted you guys to be an influence in the marketplace that you go to. Whatever store, whatever marketplace, whoever person that stopped beside the road and is broke down and needs help, all of a sudden you arrive on the scene and you're not going to you know, let your cape flap around you and say, here I am, the savior of the day. I'm the, you know, the ecclesia has arrived. Get a cape with it printed on the back. You just show up and you do the right thing. You help them fix their tire and you don't maybe even say anything about God at all. You just do it. And there's something about you that's markedly different. And the next thing you know, these cool stories happen where you see them somewhere else and they're like put two and two together. And it's like, oh my gosh, I I knew there was something different about that person. And so we're going about our journey with the quiet confidence that, okay, I understand I've got faults and issues and challenges. But I also know I've got Jesus on the inside of me. And he created me in his likeness and image. And even when I don't feel like it, I'm an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even when I don't feel like I'm worthy or I've got the skills or I've got the words to say. Maybe if you tried to testify about Jesus, you'd just butcher it all. You wouldn't remember John 3.16 if they asked you like with a gun to your head. You don't have to worry about denying him because you couldn't remember what to say. Maybe that's you. But that doesn't matter to God. What matters to him is is that you have stepped into a place and he's residing on the inside of you and you are his representation for that moment. And you know what he says in his word that he will do? In that moment where I need you to say something, I will give you the words to say. I will give you an understanding of the moment that comes by the Holy Spirit and you will say the right thing. You will insert the right information at the right moment. You will say it in a correct way or a way that is understood by the people that I want you to be representing me, that I want you to represent me for, 
and you will accomplish what I have gifted and, and, and caused you to be able to accomplish. In spite of how you feel about yourself, he's given you ability that you don't know about. Oftentimes, all it takes is for us to wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, I feel like I have no ability at all. But if you give me opportunity to open my mouth, I'll open it. If you'll put words in my mouth, I'll open it. Even if you don't, I'll open it. And I trust that you will put the words in my mouth. See, the governing authority is understanding your position in Christ. Not being arrogant or prideful, like I've said, but also not being cast down and thinking that we're the worst loathsome example of Christianity on the planet. But we're simply understanding our limitations as a human being and acknowledging his no limitations as the king of glory. I'm probably way out of time and I haven't really started yet. So we take a moment to look at the introduction of Jesus to the planet and then onward to his death, burial, and resurrection. There are messages, volumes, really, of the information that emerged to give us valuable, well, valuable information to draw on as we rethink church. Oftentimes we're rethinking church because we've just become, you know, disgruntled with the way things are. We're just kind of in a miserable spot in their life and, and the church just doesn't seem to be measuring up to what we want it to and so we, we want to rethink church, whatever. It is important to understand the necessity of the local gathering of believers. We're going to rethink church and that's what our series is about. If we're going to rethink church, that's an important spot to be in. What are we doing? How are we representing Christ in our region Are we understanding that we are a governing authority in this region? I see this church as a governing authority in this region. Just is. We're setting a a standard or setting a pace. We're setting an example of what what it means to be a, a body of believers. Not perfect. You're not perfect. But when you come together, you're doing your best under the grace of God to worship and to understand his ways and then go out into the marketplace and live them. But it's important to understand that the necessity of the local gathering of believers should not be marginalized or understated. That's human nature's tendency. We want to move on to something bigger and better and more amazing than the local church The local church has its part to play in the development of the body of Christ and believers as disciples. It is an essential place of interaction among believers. It's a place where we can gain assurance that you're not alone in life's journey. It's an essential place for non-believers to come and to hear about Christ. It's an essential place for all to come and encounter the very presence of God in the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit. It's all a part of what happens when we actually come together as the assembly. As the ecclesia comes together in an assembly, that's part of what can happen and what does happen when we assemble ourselves together. That's why the scripture is very clear. Don't, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. It's not a good idea. How many of you have skipped church for weeks or months? And then all of a sudden realized there was something huge missing in your life. It's just missing. 
And, uh, and, and without being browbeaten by, you know, the people around you necessarily, you come to this recognition that it's not a waste of time to go to church on Sunday. I need that interaction with the word. I need that interaction with the body of Christ, my brothers and sisters. And, and, and who's to know they might need me as well. That's when you step into that governing authority. When you're on your way to church on Sunday morning, it's not just to get your head lifted up. It's that person that you're sitting next to that can't get their head up. They can't see themselves as God intended and created them to be. They see themselves, like the Old Testament writer said, as a grasshopper compared to the giants. We're grasshoppers in their, like grasshoppers in their sight. Nobody said they were grasshoppers. That's just the way they perceived themselves. And that's the way that they verbalized what they were. Nobody told them they were grasshoppers. They made that up themselves. See, So when you're coming up against the giants, it's only you that's going to tell yourself that you're the grasshopper. God's not saying it. He already knows that Goliath's potential is defeat. He already knows it. He already knows he's going to get that right between the the eyes. He already knows that Goliath's defeatable. He already knows you can't defy the armies of the living God. And God just needed somebody to stand up and say, hey, that's not allowed. And greater is he that's in me than he that's in this big army suit. So let's take care of it. And he went out there with inferior weapons. Oftentimes you're going into the battle and you'll feel that you have inferior weapons. You are the ecclesia. What does that mean? You are a governing authority placed by God in the earth because you've given yourself to him as your Lord and Savior. And so you stand in the gap in our generation and you give the kingdom of God to our generation. This assembly is not a place for the body of Christ to be controlled or manipulated or put under restriction. It's a place for us to gain strength, gain understanding, gain gain an awareness of who we are in Christ, and then go and take care of the Goliaths that are out there. God's got a Goliath, and he's yours. God's got a Goliath. Sometimes those Goliaths are coming right at you. Not just the greater, you know, but they're coming directly at you. Take out your little slingshot. If God tells you to take out your little slingshot, just take it out. And even though it seems inferior, give it a whirl and let it go. Because it's going to the right place. He'll direct that stone. He knows where that stone needs to be. He just needs somebody to throw it. I believe God's raising up a body of people here that's willing to take whatever God gives them and release it as he tells them to release it. And in doing so, you'll see amazing things take place because of your obedience. God's just looking for a few good people. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Jesus was training disciples, yet sending them into the marketplace. He wasn't just training disciples so that they could follow him around for the rest of their life. 
A few months ago, I talked about the difference between an anchor and a mooring. So as we come into this assembly place, I see this location, this physical assembly place, where it's like there's a mooring here. You guys know what a mooring is. You're from a sea area, boat area, ship area, whatever. A mooring is something that you put in the harbor and you drive your boat or sail your boat or float your boat into that area and you attach it to the mooring. And that mooring doesn't go anywhere. It just stays there. And because you're attached to that mooring, there's stability and, you, and, you're, and you're able to stay put. You're not like floating into other boats and, and bumping into everything that you're not supposed to be bumping into because you've, it's designed to keep you in a singular spot. This location is a place that we come to on Sunday and we attach a line to. And there's a certain amount of stability that comes from our interaction with the body of Christ in this location. It's valuable. Stability is valuable. A place that you can go to where you can talk through stuff and have relationships and have interaction with with the word, etc. It's what helps to develop us and to become what God has intended for us to be. But the problem is, oftentimes we have a mentality that we're at a safe place and we're going to stay attached to that mooring. You just got to stay safe, man. You know, it's like investing. You can play it safe or you can risk it all or you can do something halfway in between. And when we stay attached to the mooring of the local church and don't see ourselves as an ambassador or equipped to go into the marketplace with a, with a, with a message or with the might of the kingdom of God to bring change and, and transformation to the people that are there, then we're missing half of what God's intentions are. Most of you don't stay here. Fortunately, you kind of got that part. You know, once the service is over, you all go home. You unattach yourself from that mooring and off you go, usually to get something to eat, praise God. Which I'm feeling that coming on right now. But an anchor is something that you take with you. Every vessel leaves the harbor, unattaches itself from the mooring, goes off to its destination, and what does it do when it gets there? Usually there's not a mooring for them to attach to, and so they drop an anchor. What does that anchor represent? It represents the teachings that you've learned while you're in that safe harbor or that mooring place. That anchor that you have, you you go into the marketplace where it's not like this on Sunday morning. How many of your marketplaces are like going to church on Sunday morning? Your jobs are like going to church on Sunday morning. It's like, bless God, hallelujah, praise God. We spend half the morning worshiping and then we finally get around to some work. Most of us don't have that kind of environment. It's more like, be careful little ears what you hear. (laughs) But in that place, you have this anchor, and you drop that anchor over the side. Because it's that anchor 
that's been fashioned and formed by the teaching of the local church and your interaction with the body of Christ that is a semblance of what you have when you're here. And so when you drop that anchor, you're not going to become enticed or overcome by the teachings of the world or the interaction with the world. But you're able to maintain your understanding of the kingdom. You're able to maintain your bearings. You're, you're, you're not drifting listlessly, but you understand, wait a minute, my anchor is that I am a child of the living God. I am an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today I am on a mission for the kingdom. And it's not to overthrow my boss. Right? It's, it's not that stuff. It goes back to what's my mission? My, my mission is to have my eyes open not to the, all the problems that are around me and start grumbling about all the problems that are around me, but to take the spirit of the living God that I have on the inside of me into this marketplace and I'm attached to something with definition and with meaning that needs to be deposited in this environment. And so you are a governing authority everywhere you go as long as you recognize who God has created and destined you to be and what your mission is for that season and for that moment. As an ambassador of the United States, I don't go to um, Argentina as the ambassador of Turkey, right? I don't show up in Argentina and say, hey, I'm I'm the ambassador of Turkey. They're like, you don't look like somebody from Turkey. No. Ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you're going into your marketplace to do. But you cannot go in there on your own authority. You cannot go in there saying what you want to say. You cannot go in there and start arguing. Right? People will argue with you till you're blue in the face. Be, be who God has called you to me. Be, stand resolute. Sometimes it's simply that you just don't do some stuff. You don't lie. You're not cheating on your time. You're not stealing from your boss. You stand resolute. And when people recognize that authority, because they will, That authority is on the inside of you. And when you stand and you're not the complainer, they know that they're not going to go to you with all their complaints because you'll turn them to the right, you'll give them the right advice to go to their leadership or whatever, and you will not entertain that stuff. Eventually you have a reputation that's not of that sort, but it's one of a governing authority. And without even asking for it, people start asking you for advice. Without even asking for that position of advice giver. You don't promote yourself as the advice giver. Fact is, I don't even want to give advice. Don't ask me for advice. I don't have anything to give you. Except Jesus dropped something in my heart. And if he sends you to me, More than likely, that's what he's done. And even though I may feel inadequate, we're going to have the words to say. The governing authority. That's you guys. That's us. 
And we can't do it all here. These guys have no intention for us camping out here through the week. Go that morning, drop your anchor where God's called you and where he's sent you in place and be who he's called you to be. Don't let your head hang down. And when you're feeling heavy, that's when you call the body of Christ. That's when you developed relationships that are necessary in your life so that you have somebody to call. Hey, I'm not making it today. I'm I'm not doing good. I need somebody to pray. Talk some sense to me. Remind me of who I am, whatever you want to call it. We need one another as the body of Christ to keep us focused, headed in the right direction so that we can become everything that God's destined us to be. So if you don't remember anything else that I said today, and you go home and you're like, what was he talking about? <laughs> or whoever's homesick and didn't make it today, say, what was the message about? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I'm not really sure what he was talking about. Remember that if you've asked Jesus into your life, you are a son or a daughter of the living God. And if you can't keep anything else straight in your head, make sure you keep that straight in your head. Because if you acknowledge on on an ongoing basis that he's my Lord, he's my Savior, and I trust him, I trust you, Father, everything that I've talked about is going to happen. Not completely automatically, but you're going to be heading in that direction. Because when, he, when you acknowledge him as your, as your father, as you acknowledge him as your Lord, he can't help but put you in positions where he can work through you. He loves to see you represent him. He loves to see you be who he's called you to be. He loves you, he loves you to be surprised When you get in a situation and your knees are knocking because, oh no, I can feel it coming. And they're asking me that God question thing, something. Oh, I knew it was going to happen one of these days. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God rises up on the inside of you. And a question or an answer comes from nowhere. And it's like this exhilarating understanding that God just moved through me the most unlikely candidate in the universe. And God just, I know it was him. I didn't have anything to say to to that person or that situation. I wouldn't even have known what to say 15 minutes before. And all of a sudden, like out of nowhere. And I just said it. And the tears started to roll down that person's eyes. Why? Because it's not us anyway. All we are is the messenger an obedient messenger to take his words to lost humanity. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us that you have empowered us way more than we could imagine or think. You have equipped us with the Holy Spirit that has so much information to release to our generation. And God, I just want to say over this congregation, 
Be released. Be released from this place today. Be released into the marketplace. Be released into your homes. Be released into your your jobs. Be released into the relationships that that, uh, depend on you. And be who God has destined you to be. A voice, a voice of reconciliation, a voice of hope, a voice that is anointed by the Holy Spirit. So Father, I just release these guys today, these, these, these amazing people. I release them today with your blessing and with your favor and with your anointing resting upon their lives. In Jesus' name.